Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Today, we're listening to Melissa Supinor's second installment on perspectives, perception, and journaling. She talks about how journaling has helped her understand what's going on and also how listening for understanding and understanding that people have different perspectives and perceptions has helped her do her work in the veterinary industry, both with veterinarians and clients. So let's see what she has to say. Hi, everyone. Deborah Hamilton, Hamilton Law Mediation and the Why Do Pets Matter podcast. And we're back again for part two of my wonderful interview with Melissa Supernor. Remember, she's the founder of Education Advocates for Vet Teams. I have to tell you, the last podcast was so informative. And as we were signing off, Melissa made this little comment about how she keeps a journal. And I, of course, thought this is so important for all my listeners. Why do pets matter? And why do people in the pet industry um, need to do things to make their lives better, thereby making pets' lives better, thereby making pet owners' lives better? So I asked Melissa to come back and we're going to go into how people speak to each other, perceive each other, and how journaling can help you figure out what best techniques you can put in place to help you understand what someone says or be understood better. So, Melissa, let's go back to where we were in the last episode where you started to talk about how you journal. Tell me a little bit more about why you started doing that and how it helps. So I I do it for two different reasons, basically professional and personal. So in my professional life, I do it for to understand my management or leadership skills um, and, and to really get my information on how I perceived a conversation um, and maybe even get to the point of where's the reality of the conversation. So when, it, when I have a conversation with an individual, no matter if it's a disciplinary action or just a regular a conversation, I always come out of it with obviously new information and new understanding of, you know, different people, and how they perceive conversations. So usually what I try to do on that side, on the, on the management and leadership side, is I, I put down my own, in my own words, in a journal, in a notebook, whatever it is, what, how I saw the conversation, the, the points, and then kind of back and forth. So I kind of make it look like a conversation back and forth. I don't ever share these with anyone. It's just my own thoughts. And I've done this even when I was a worker and I had somebody that, you know, leadership conversation with me, some, you know, my supervisor or my manager, and I would do it the same way. So it's kind of like, to me, a documentation of that conversation. And I think it helps that if I ever had to go back 
and use it as a conversation or a disciplinary action or a write-up or something like that, I have the information that I, how I perceived it. Now, does that change how that person perceives it? No, but at least gives me my notes um, and understanding. And then the other part of that two-parter for the professional side is I also would look at it as what did I do right and then, or successful? And then what did I do that I need to work on? What did I learn from? How did I perceive it? And I'm honest with myself on that. So when, if I write down that, I said, you know, A, B, and C, I'm honestly will say I said A, B, and C. And then sometimes I will put in how I was feeling when I said that. So I had an incident that happened with a, uh, um, an employee way back, a team member way, way back. And I felt that my, I was getting angry with them. And I knew it because I could feel the blood pressure building. My face was getting hot and stuff like that. And she was verbally attacking me as a person versus the the leadership or the management that I was bringing forth. And, and I knew I was getting happy. There was somebody else in the room and she knew it was getting to that point too. And I wrote that. I wrote that I was getting angry and I had to stop the meeting because of A, B, and C and get everybody to give a break. And I didn't say I was giving her a break because I was getting angry. I was, I was basically saying, that, let's take a break. This is going to go to the wrong area. Let's just take a break and then we'll come back and with better heads and do this. And we did, and it actually turned out fine, but I wrote that. I wrote that in the journal. So I knew what was my breaking point? What was my and, and I don't get angry a lot. So what was that point with what would she was saying to actually get me to that point of anger? Um, and I, I, there was a, obviously a lot of things around it, right? So it wasn't just that incident. But that's what I usually do is look back at those and say, really, what is successful in that conversation that I can do the next time in another conversation? But what do I have to learn from to make it better the next time? Because it's all about that team member, right? It's not about me and my management. It's about that team member making them feel safe and secure in that conversation and making them feel that they need something to learn too, but also that they have a comfort level with me to be able to discuss it. And, and then on the personal side, it was just mostly on the self-care side. So it's easy to say it this way. It's like self-care is like, I journal every day just on my thoughts, my feelings, what's going on in the world, you know, the world around me, maybe my own world, you know, stuff like that. And I always have been one, you know, when I was a child, I kept a diary just because that's what children did. But then I really enjoyed writing. So I kind of just brought it to that next level where I just keep, and they're two separate. So they're two real separate journals. And I really do work on if I, if I got personally having issues or there's something going on in my life, I journal about it because it actually helps me calm down on whatever's happening, or it makes me understand when the next incident happened, how I dealt with it the first time again, what was my success? What was my, you know, what do I need to learn from it? Um, I don't speak about failures. So those words are not something I always lecture and say, you're not failing at it. You just need to learn about something. It's not about failure. It's about what can I learn? What do I do? What did I do? Right. What do I need to learn from? And then go on from there. You know, use the same language I do when I'm speaking to clients who are in conflict over animals, whether it's with a veterinarian or his staff or her staff um, or with a co-owner or with, you know, an ex um, spouse or relationship partner. It's it's a learning experience. And if we can do something to enhance our ability to stop 
and reflect. So I just want to reflect back what you said. So after a conversation, you sit down and you, you write it down and you reflect back on um, what I, what I said that was um, helpful and what I said that maybe inflamed it or didn't do it, didn't land, or maybe didn't land the way I wanted it to land. And how might I be better? Not that anything is a failure. And I totally agree. I always preach that um, unless you have something to learn, you're constantly staying still. And right. we, all, we all can learn from anything we say. Journaling helps people do is make sure that um, you reflect back what you've experienced so you can look at it on a calmer day and see whether or not that strong position you held helped facilitate a conversation or maybe hindered a conversation going forward, either with a team member or a client, because we didn't have the ability to um, take a step back. And I love when you said, and I learned what I did really well, then I keep that there. And then I learn what I might have said a little differently that may have landed a little differently and had a, a more productive outcome. Right. So for most of the stuff that I did on the journaling side, um, on a professional basis, whether it's team member or hospital team um, wise, not client. So client was actually, um, and, and more to the fact is like every time I talk to a client, no matter about conflict, and it was mostly conflict because there's not many things that I would write down in a uh, medical record about a client when it's all happy-go-lucky. But um, on the conflict side, if a client has a concern, uh, something that happened in the hospital or something that happened with a hospital member, that actually went in their medical record. So, and it went in, in a, obviously a professional manner in the, in the medical record because the, the fact is, is that if that came back and that medical record had to be reviewed by regional management or the courts or whatever, we, we would have a documentation of the discussion. Now, again, from my side of the story, right, not from the clients, because you're not discipline, disciplining the client, you're just hearing their concerns. And, and sometimes, with, especially with a client, is if it's a really bad concern or a conflict that really was um, something that we really need to, is I would take the notes that I had written in the medical record, or not the exact notes, but the notes from our conversation, send them over to the client and ask the client to respond to my email of is this is how you your perception of our meeting so I can make this a true documentation. And that way, when the client brought sent it back and said, yes, exactly what it looked like, no, this is how I, I perceived it, whatever the case would be, I could print out that documentation and put it into the record. So if there was anything further, I would have it. Also, that's also a part of the um, records of the, of the staff member, of the team member, because they, this is how the client perceived the conversation or the concern that they had around the staff member or something that happened in the hospital. So I have it in writing on both sides, what, how I perceived the conversation, how they perceived the conversation. And then, you know, the reality is there, right? The two sides come together. The reality is done. You know, let's just move forward. You know, that is such a brilliant way to handle things because most of the time people say things, um, and they think they say things. I had a long conversation with a client once and they said, well, I said this and I said this and I said this and I said this. I said, so uh, tell me how that that worked for you um, and how it sounded. 
And they realized they'd never said what they wanted to say or what they said was less than really um, illuminating of what they wanted. And they go, wow, no wonder they didn't do what I wanted to do. So when you're talking to a client, you're asking the questions, you're, you're jotting down what they're saying. And I loved when you said, and I read it back to them and say, so Mrs. Smith, um, this is what I'm hearing you say about your experience here at ABC Vet. And I just want to make sure I've got it right. We call that looping in the profession where you loop back what you've heard. You can right. use the exact words or you can use, you know, a shorter form of the words. And I love when my clients who are listening to me say what it is that they've said. Um, uh, that's not exactly what I meant because it gives them the opportunity to hear what I heard and fill it out more or, or change it or um, approve it. Right. So, so you definitely, that's why when you and I talk about perspective and perception, um, I'm from New York um, and Melissa's from Massachusetts. And so there are a few things that we have to keep straight so that our perspectives and our perceptions are amenable to each other. One is that I'm a Met fan, so that makes it okay. <laughs> but, you know, these kind of things are really important to understand about someone when you're talking to them because right. how they hear your information, um, especially now with diversity and inclusion and equity being able able to speak in a way that someone perceives as respectful and honest and um, thorough is, is really important. Well, the other side of that coin, as you're saying about inclusion and, and you know, the DEI uh, yeah. talk and stuff is under, not, it's not so much understanding that is on top of understanding that I should say it that way. On, on top of understanding the diversity that we have in the world today, to include somebody in, but also to really understand that, you know, if you make a mistake, you it's okay to say, I'm sorry. It's okay to say I was wrong. And but there, there's the other side of that, that venue is we all are here to hear each other, right? But are we hearing? Are we actually actively listening to each other? Or are we just listening to respond to somebody. And I think that that's so important in our, in our field, as we talk about it, in the animal kingdom as it is, right? You're, if you're talking to somebody and you're distracted by a hundred different things going on, you're not actively hearing what they're saying. You're not, you're not, your perception is going to be totally off of that conversation. So that written word, that written documentation is so important because they will understand, or at least they, you know, they'll be able to put it down. So in their writing, and this is the same thing that I always did when I in, so if I had to write up a team member is we would go through the write-up and then they would sign the write-up because it, the signing only doesn't, doesn't say they agree to the write-up. It only says that they. It accurately reflects what they spoke about here today. Right. But it's also that they received it. So my sign, my having them sign it was that they received it, not that they agreed to it. Right. And then I would give them usually a two week time frame to come back with a written documentation of the conversation. And then I would sign it that way too. So we have signs on both sides and then it would go into the record. Yeah. And, and it's so important to understand that, you know, if we don't put away the phone, the devices, the, the computers and everything else and have a conversation with someone, we're never going to hear them fully 100% of the time. 
And, you know, in a hospital setting, it's a little bit harder because, right, you're getting interrupted by team members, by animals, and that's what our life is. It's like, that's what we have to be there for. So that interruption happens, and that's why you document it. If if you're at home or, you know, you have on you know, kind of quiet time and you're, and you're trying to have a conversation and you're on the phone, you're going to miss half of it. And I do it. I'm, I'm more guilty than probably anyone is I miss it all the time. If I'm talking to somebody on the phone and I'm like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I don't want to hear it. I'll play with my phone. And then I miss half the conversation and be like, Oh, wait a minute. What did you just say? Cause yeah. you, something trigger, triggers that. So it's about the effective listening. It's, you know, it's so important. We in the, in the mediation field say that it's listening for understanding. So let me see if I got what you said correctly. Mm -hmm. We all have to stop, put our electronics down and make sure we listen fully to the other party. Now, if you're not in a place to listen fully to the other party, you need to raise your hand and say, you know, Melissa, I'm not where I need to be to hear this. Let me go see if Dr. Smith or one of the techs can come in and we can do this together. Uh, Because if you're not in that place, and and let me tell you, the ability to stop and say, wait a minute, could you repeat what you said? I, I don't think I heard it clearly is so important because it, even if the client says to you, weren't you listening to me? And I always say to my veterinarians and, and my pet service industry people, who the groomers and everybody else say, no, I don't think I wasn't listening to you. I just think... I wasn't understanding what you meant me to hear. So would you say it again? So I can make sure that I hear it the way you intend me to hear it. And that often gives the pet owner the ability to say it in a way that may be less accusatory, less um, brief, more, more information. Because of course we all know that that relationship and that conversation between the veterinarian and the pet owner or the vet tech at the, at the outset and the pet owner is what starts everybody thinking, especially to say, well, he's had diarrhea and he hasn't been eating and drinking a lot of water. So as a, as a veterinarian or anyone in the vet field, three or four things are now in the back of your mind. Well, if that's the presentation, then it could be this or this or this. And I loved when you said, and you have to stop and listen for understanding because it could have been, you know, that he was eating potato chips or something. I don't know, just something right. that, that would have triggered this that wouldn't be a major kidney issue, let's say, but rather the fact that the cat should not have been eating potato chips. And so, and it's, it's not to say that owners um, should not feed their animals potato chips, which they probably shouldn't. But if you tell someone that you fed the potato chips, that's a really good thing. Like don't try to hide stuff because in order to get a full um, understanding of where the animal is, you really do have to be um, conscious and aware and not afraid to tell your veterinarian, um, that you fed your cat potato chips. I'm sure you've heard some incredible stories that people thought it was okay to feed their animal X, Y, or Z, and then the animal became ill. I mean, chocolate's the big one, but most people know about chocolate. But I mean, there's poinsettias, and I don't know why an animal would eat a poinsettia, but they do. And then there are lilies, and then there are all sorts of other things that go out. But have you ever encountered um, where you have cajoled or in, um, encouraged someone to say, okay, so what might he have gotten into? Well, I have, and as a as a technician in, in early in the world, I, I learned a lot from you know veterinarians that I that I worked with because you know as we take the history as technicians take the history, we may not have you know a whole lot of time. We may have like a few minutes to get the whole history in. Um, you know, when I was in school, it was always 
hey, you got five minutes, do the history. And it's like, you know what? There could be a long history on this pet and you're going to miss a lot, right? So as the, you know, as I would get the, the basic history and then the veterinarian would go in and get the more robust one. What I always found is early in my years is that what I got as a history is sometimes different than what the veterinarian got. And it was the same questions that they asked, but the client, it was the comfort level, right? So the comfort level and the respect level that the client had with the veterinarian versus myself, whatever the case would be. Um, and it is, it's, it's the, the fact is, and I saw it more, you, you're talking about potato chips, but I saw it more with alcohol or some, um, you know, drugs and stuff like that. Some, you know, they didn't want, you know, they, their perception was that we were going to judge them on what their animals had ingested, right. right? So, you know, I had this one case, dog came in, little chihuahua came in, um, never forget it, it was seizuring. And the client said, oh, no, I put on flea and tick product and then it started seizuring. And it looked like, you know, one of those seizures that had, uh, it was like marijuana type seizure thing. And I said, are you sure there wasn't any other, you know, substances that this pet could have gotten? Not that it couldn't be the flea and tick, because obviously it could have been that. It could have been, you know, something bought at, you know, that's non-veterinary uh, right. approved and, you know, got it that way. Or it was supposed to be for a different species and it got it there. That We saw that a lot, especially a dog one going onto the cat and vice versa like that. So, you know, and it was a very small, like five-pound chihuahua. So anything could have gotten this guy toxic, right? So right. we were trying to go through all the toxicities that we could. And the client said, no, it's this, it's this, it's this. And it was actually that the client didn't know that the dog got into the pocketbook of the of their daughter or son, you know, daughter, um, but or into, you know, the that, that Ziploc plastic bag. Right. right. And so that was the reality of, oh, my God, that could have been and not thinking that her her fear was. If I told you the, everything that could have been in my house, could have been, not that it was, it not was that she knew about it. She thought, she said, I thought you would judge me. And I was like, we're not here to judge. We're here to fix this pet and make it so this pet actually lives um, and it gets better. And, you know, and, and her lot was, and she became a client for life. She was after that conversation between the veterinarian and I and the client, she became a client of ours for life. And it was... You know, every animal she came in, she always raved about it because it was her thoughts. And the way she always discussed it was, it's a place to go that it's a non-judgmental medical. That's how she said it. And I was like, that's such a great, actually, phrase. Yeah. Um, because I think that if we're not judging our clients on what is happening, we can get to the bottom of it a lot easier. Especially nowadays. And a lot quicker. Right. And especially nowadays with everything that's could be legalized everything that's out there that people have and stuff like that i mean i could care less i'm there to treat the animal and treat the animal the best of my ability and the only way i can do that is with the full amount of information as i can have and you know i always went through you know we talk about toxicities i always went through everything that could be in the house just like i mean an easy conversation is you know parasite imagine the animal has a parasite and the clients are like i don't know where they got it it's an indoor cat i don't know where it got it and then you're like, well, could they get into plants? Well, my plants are clean. It's not about if your plants are clean. Soil has soil, soil has parasites. It's it's, yeah. it's common knowledge. But clients don't understand that. And they make it seem like because they think that 
as something like that, we're going to judge them on how their cleanliness of their houses. I mean, that's a very small example, but it's an example on how people perceive the questions that you're asking them. Yep. And we see this in teams all the time. I, I go into practices all the time. My favorite thing is to go in and have conversations around medical conversations with, with um, team members and say, hey, why are you doing A, B, and C? And I don't say it in that factor, but that's what I'm asking. Like, why, why are you doing this type of pain med after surgery? It's not because I'm going to judge them. I could care less what they use. That's, that's their medical protocol. Just want to hear. I want to know because I want to learn. Maybe there's something I don't use. Maybe it's something that they're having success with. Then we can have this conversation. We can use it in, in the travels around to all the other practices that we're part of. And, you know, I look at it that way is if somebody's having a conversation, they just want to know about you. So if somebody asks you a question that's like, why are you asking me? I hear you want to judge me on that? No, they just want to know about you. If they're, they're actually somebody that respects you, they want to know more about you. And I think that that's what's missing in our, in our world, in our community, our little vet community is we're not really getting to know each other the way that, you know, we would on a friendship basis. If we, you know, if we're friends with people and I, and I laugh about it because there was certain podcasts I'll listen to and they'll talk about, you know, personal, what happened personally in somebody's life. And I'm like, I would never know that about them. And I've been friends with them for years. For years. Yeah. And it's like, I never knew that. I never knew that you went and did that. And, and, it's, and it's not like it was a hidden secret. It was just like, you just never gotten that in depth in somebody's life. And, and I do think that, you know, there's certain things people won't share and that's fine. But there's certain things that if they're sharing it on a podcast, I, I would have loved to have that conversation about that because I, there was questions. And it did, again, it opened up those conversations and those questions on, you know, why, what happened? Like, what was that, you know, it was around that, you know, issue or situation that they were in and stuff like that. And I think that that's how we learn as humans. And maybe it will help us if we ever get into that situation or we're in a situation that's similar to that. That is so thoughtful because it seems knee-jerk now, it, at least in my practice, when you ask questions around animals, people get immediately defensive and reactive. Why are you asking me that? Why are you asking me if I have a fenced-in yard? Why are you asking me if I walk my dog? Why are you asking me if you know there might be some... Um, cleaning product or drug or alcohol in my house, you know, why would you ask me that? And it's not because you're prying and you want to know their lifestyle. It's that if the dog presents or the cat presents with an issue, really, I just want you to let me know because your secret's safe with me. Um, we will save the dog or cat and go on our merry way. So that's where that perspective and perception. So for, for us asking the questions, we're thinking, I want you to be honest with me because I want to be able to help the cat or dog in the next five minutes as opposed to having to walk down the, the windy, right. me, windy path of where, where the, he might have got something. Uh, and the other party might be saying, well, as you said, you know, they might, they might judge me, so I don't want them to judge me. And I don't want them to think my daughter is doing this or my son is doing that or I have cleaners out and I forgot to put them away. Or maybe, you know, the cat came and licked out of that bucket where I was, you know, painting something or whatever it is that could happen. You know, these things happen. And you as a vet tech and most veterinarians know, most people whose animals get into situations like this, it is a, an accident. It is, it is something that happens that they have no idea that the cat, dog, 
bird horse could get into it. I mean, my horse had an eye issue. He, he hit his eye and it ended up that we had to put him down because he seized after anesthesia, after they removed the eye. Now, did we know where he hurt his eye? No. Would we like to know so the other horses in the field don't do it? Yes. But he didn't tell us because he was not Mr. Ed, so he didn't tell us. However, being able to feel as if you are in a safe space with your veterinarian, and Melissa, you know this, sometimes, not you, present company excluded, sometimes people do give off an air of, you did what? Or you let them do. And then they joke. I know I was on a call for a bunch of veterinarians. They were talking about the crazy clients. And I said, I spoke up and I said, you know, guys, if we all refer to clients as crazy clients, that's what they're going to feel. And if the clients refer to all veterinarians as, you know, they're only in it for the money, they're all, this is not what it's in for. It's all about understanding the perspective and perception and dispelling the negative ones and enhancing the positive ones. Because I really want you to tell me what it is that I did that upset you. Like you said at the beginning, when you were journaling, you know, here. I said things and I went, oh, I probably could have said that better and I learned from it, or they could have said this better and I'm going to talk to them about it so they know that when they answer something like this um, in a way that is defensive and reactive, it shuts people down. Now, I'm going to come back and tell you about that so that you know for the future that that's not something you might want to do. However, it it takes really a strong um, personal uh, id, so to speak, your your own personal to go back and say, uh, when I said this, I can see how it could have been interpreted incorrectly. And I'd like to know how it landed with you. And then they tell you and you go, wow, I like the guy who told me that, you know, courage was means different things to different people. Instead of saying, you have got to be kidding. Are you out of your mind? Courage is courage. I said, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up to me. I said, because I never thought of that. And I'm going to be really aware when I use it to caveat and say, if courage means this to you, that's how I mean it. If courage means something else, then maybe that word doesn't fit for you. And some people might say, well, okay, Deborah, you got to jump through a million hoops. But do you feel that way, Melissa, when you read your journal or you have a conversation with someone who shares with you uh, how something you said landed with them or you're sharing with them how something they said landed with you? Do you find that to be really helpful um, in the long term or do you find it to be tedious? No, I, I mean, in the long run, I think it has made me not only a better um, friend and family member, um, I think that I, I really look at the stuff that I've done in the past and it makes me a better team member. And it has developed my leadership skills that, you know, if you look at everybody as an individual, right, they're not, if, if you start walking to a hospital, yeah, you have a bunch of team members there, right? But if you look at everybody as an individual, and I, I look at it as I had um, a lot of students, right? So I've been I've been teaching since probably 25 years of my life, of, of my professional life. And every single student that I had from vet students to vet assistant to vet tech, to, you know, they all learn differently, right? So I had to curtail my teaching style to each individual person. Now, can you do that in a, in a large classroom? Like less than 50? It's hard. Right. And I had, like, at one time, I had almost close to 100 students, you know, at one time. And and you can't, but yet you can still teach on an individual level after that. So as I learned my skills that way and thinking, you know, if every single student 
learns differently. And I know that I learn differently than you do and that type of stuff. Yep. But on the other side is, then why would our team members not always perceive different conversations differently? Like, think about every single conversation you had today alone. Now, it's only 10.50 right now. So it's only early in the morning, right? So it doesn't matter. You've already had a, quite a few conversations today, and if not, this week alone, right? Every single one of them was different. Even if it was with the same person on the same yep. subject, it was totally different. And, you know, and I, and I look at it as we have to start to treat everybody as an individual, but we also have to still treat them in a positive light. If we can't treat people in a positive way, and it's not always negative, it's not always thinking, perceiving that they're going to be negative or something's going to happen when I tell them the truth, then it's never, we're never going to get into a more positive world. It's always going to continue to be negative. I mean, and, and I won't get into it. Social media has become negative. The, the news is very negative. It's like, I could not watch the news ever. I could stay off of social media and my life would be positive. But what about those people that I feel that I could impact on a positive way? I can't reach them unless I'm doing that same thing. And I'm not talking about the news anymore. Don't like social media. If I can't bring positivity to the world of negativity in certain areas, then I can't do what I feel like my passion and my vision is for the rest of my career. And that's how I look at it. And, and I even look at it in the way that I look at four jobs or I look at the way that I lecture and those type of things is even though I have to look at every single person that's on that, in that lecture, you know, in the lecture hall or on that zoom as an individual, and they're going to learn differently. And I might have to, I do the same thing on lecturing that I do on, you know, the journaling, I go back and I really listen, especially if it's on Zoom, it's the best. You can go back and listen to yourself yeah. and say, you know, here is where I have activity. You know, like I do a lot of questions on the chat with, you know, any of my lectures. And this is where I had a lot of activity. That's the question I asked that, that brought, you know, 100 people in. And then here's a question I asked that brought in five. What was the difference between those questions? You know, was it a difference in the audience or whatever the case would be? But I really look at myself in a more positive light than I ever have when I do that. Because if I don't, then I just bring the negativity back to it. And then I don't like to do it. I don't want to do it anymore. And then I feel like that's a lost um, learning for me. But it's so, it, it's so, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, I'm just, okay. it's so interesting how you have uh, taken that ability to examine how you're being heard and perceived and really wanting to make that better. and. I mean, we're going to continue this conversation. We'll probably have section three coming up soon um, because, or, or four, because we've had you on before. But, but this discussion about how to really hold yourself to a certain level, I love when you said my students learn differently and I'm going to try to teach them in the best way I can. But I'm sure that if someone has an issue or needs to speak to you, they can come and, and get you. So, so today we talked about journaling. Make sure you journal. Journaling will really help you um, get to uh, your best self, I think. And I think, Melissa, you agree. Your best self because you're going over what is um, happening in your life. And then when you go back and look at it a week later and you have all this stuff about how Deborah said this and Deborah said this and how could she do that? And you look at it again and you go, wow, I was in a really, I was in a dark place when I wrote that. And I'm sure... I could probably go up to Deborah and say, listen, this is how I heard what you said. Let me know if I heard you correctly. And when I tell clients to do that to their veterinarians or to their pet service providers, the veterinarians usually say, 
oh my God, I am so sorry you heard that that way. That wasn't how I meant it. And I'm not going to say that I, I didn't say it in, in such a, a poor manner, but this is what um, is, is a better way to say it. And so they repair their relationship. So journaling gives you the opportunity to write down what you're feeling and hearing in the moment. And then understanding that your perception and perspective um, is yours and mine is mine. And respecting that difference, because I'm from New York and you're from Boston, just to use a perfect analogy, because if I had been a Yankee fan, well, that would be a really short podcast. Um, very short podcast. Very short podcast. And um, the, the thing I, I think that you pointed out last and not least and most important is we have to keep a positive attitude about ourselves first in order for us to exude a positive outlook toward the people we're speaking to. So that also includes their feeling not judged, um, their feeling supported to giving the information that they need to give to a veterinarian, even if, if it is, you know, that the gummy bears in my daughter's backpack uh, was what the chihuahua ate. And that's why he's seizing uh, because they had enough CBD oil or something in it for a 50 or 60 pound kid. And this is a five pound chihuahua. Um, so I loved that you brought these things here because these are such useful um tasks that people can take. I always say, take a minute, write it down, look at it and see whether or not in an hour, in a half a day, in a full day, if you still feel the same way. Um, and, and I loved your thought about social media because that's my strife as well. Do I get off social media because it's all negative or do I remain there? And even if people um, become negative about anything I post, I appreciate where they're coming from. I appreciate their perspective um, and hope to encourage them to find um, a more positive thrust to what they're feeling. Um, yeah. I had one the other day with um, uh, the pandemic puppies all being returned to uh, the shelters and that's just not really what's happening. Um, so we're going to have you back. You know, this is, you know, our conversation is so on point for all veterinarians, veterinarian staffs and pet owners, because it's how you have that conversation that keeps people in the vet industry and keeps that relationship between veterinarians and their clients um, in a good place. Even if you have some tough things to discuss, it keeps it in a good place. Will you come back, Melissa? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I love you. Hey, have a great time. It's Deborah Hamilton, Hamilton Law and Mediation, and the Why Do Pets Matter podcast. Kiss your pets for me, and until next time, pets do matter. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.